Let's open our Bibles together to the book of Romans, chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 7, though our focus is just going to be on verse 1 this morning as we start out on our series on the book of Romans called The Gospel, The Power of God for Salvation. This book is all about the gospel, the good news of salvation from sin through faith in Christ. And we'll see as we go through the book how the gospel is indeed the power of God for salvation in our lives. In every sense of that word, salvation, from start to finish in the Christian life, from justification through sanctification to glorification. The gospel is the power of God for the salvation we desperately need as sinners. And we'll see that as we go through the book together. And this morning, as we begin, we're going to see in the opening words of the book how the Apostle Paul's identity was shaped by that gospel as God called him to be a servant and an apostle and set him apart for the gospel. And as we look at what he says, we'll consider how our identity as well as believers is shaped by the gospel. So let me pray for us, and then we'll begin. God, we thank you for giving us the book of Romans. And we pray that as we go through it, that you would be faithful and gracious to sanctify us by it each time we come to it in faith. When we're done with this book, we want to be able to look back on our time in it and see that we've changed and grown. We've become more like Christ. We want to see that people have come to faith in Christ and grown up in Christ here in this church. We want to see that our covenant children have come to faith and grown and matured in their faith. We want to be able to look back and see all the ways you've sustained us and strengthened us through trials. We want to see lots of fruit for your glory. So would you begin that work this morning by your power and grace. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Romans chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through 7, which is sort of the introduction to the letter, an extended greeting. It's actually the longest greeting in any of the letters Paul wrote. But as I said, we're just going to focus on verse 1 for this morning. This is God's word. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You can see in your sermon notes that we're going to look at each of the four elements in the first verse of this letter, Paul, servant, apostle, and set apart. Each of those elements are very important for our understanding of the letter. 
and there's a lot we can learn from them as well in terms of our own lives as Christians today. The letter begins, naturally, with the name of the author, Paul, that is, the Apostle Paul. He is the author of Romans, but, and you may know this, he's actually not the one who wrote Romans. At the very end of the book, in chapter 16, verse 22, it says this, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Now, we don't have to be confused about that. All it's telling us is that Tertius was the scribe or secretary, amanuensis is the old word, who took down the letter as Paul dictated it. That was how letters were often written back then. The scribe would write down what the person said, and then the person would review it and then sign their name in their own hand at the end, which is what Paul would do. At the end of Second Thessalonians, he said, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand, This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. So for the book of Romans, Tertius physically wrote the book, but of course the apostle Paul was the author. However, we should also remember that the ultimate author of the book of Romans was God. Paul was the human author. God was the divine author. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God. So even though it's written by man, it's breathed out by God. Second Peter 1.21 says, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men spoke or wrote from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So as we go through this book together, we should always keep in mind that what we are reading, what we are hearing preached is the word of God not the word of man. We should always keep that in mind. These are not just Paul's thoughts or opinions about God and man and the world and a variety of other issues. These are God's thoughts, God's words. This is the inspired and inerrant and authoritative word of God. And we should remember that and respond to it accordingly. We should take God at his word and trust and obey what he says. So Paul's the human author, God is the divine author, and Paul wrote this letter, as far as we can tell, sometime in the 50s, that is the actual 50s, probably between 55 and 58 AD, he wrote it to the Christians in Rome, both to the Jews who had become Christians and to Gentiles who had become Christians, and what we gather from the rest of the letter, and we'll see this as we go, is that he wrote it in order to unify Jewish and Gentile Christians in Rome around the gospel so that they would support the missionary journey to Spain that he wanted to take, which he'll talk about in the letter. He'd never met these Christians in Rome, but he wants them to be unified, and he wants them to support his mission to Spain. And so he writes them in order to clarify the content of the gospel he preaches and to clarify also his apostolic authority to preach it. And he encourages their unity and support of his mission. Now, before we look at how he describes himself in these opening words here, I want to point out one more thing under this first heading. I want us to notice actually the first letter of the book of Romans. And don't worry, we're not going to go through the book one letter at a time. You could see there that the first letter is P, not the letter S. It starts with Paul, not Saul. Reminds us of Saul's conversion. He was once Saul, but now he's Paul. 
He was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent of the church, 1 Timothy 1. But now he is a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. By God's sovereign grace, he went from being Saul the Pharisee to being Paul the apostle and preacher of the gospel. You can read the story of his conversion in Acts chapter 9. Perhaps it would be good to do over lunch today. And his retelling of it in chapters 22 and 26 of Acts. But here at the beginning of Romans, I just want us to be reminded of God's sovereign and powerful and gracious work of conversion in the heart of Paul. To which we should respond like the Christians in Judea did at the end of Galatians 1. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me, Paul said. We should glorify God for the conversion of Paul. We should thank God for the conversion of Paul. And of course, we should glorify God and thank God for our own conversion as we think back on it. And we should pray for the conversion of others and proclaim the gospel to them and trust God to work according to his sovereign will as he did with Paul to do the work that only he can do. Well, Paul says three things about himself here, three aspects of his identity, which you can see there in verse one, that he is a servant of Christ Jesus, that he's called to be an apostle and that he's been set apart for the gospel of God. And all three of those things would have helped the readers to understand his apostolic authority and also the divine origin of his message and ministry. So they're very important, and let's look at those three things now. First, he says that he's a servant of Christ Jesus. When Paul says that he's a servant of Christ Jesus, that word servant has a little more oomph than we probably give it instinctively. It doesn't just point to a relationship where Paul's the servant and Christ Jesus is the master. It also points to a sort of office that connects back to the Old Testament where major figures like Abraham and Moses and David or the prophets were referred to as, quote, God's servant or servants or the servant of the Lord. They were servants of the Lord in a special sense, not just in a general sense like all of God's people, but in a particular sense. They were called to serve the Lord in some sort of official capacity. That's in the background here when Paul calls himself a servant Of Christ Jesus. He's signaling to his readers that he's writing in his official capacity as a servant of Christ Jesus. He's not writing on his own authority, he's writing on the authority of Christ. He is a servant of Christ Jesus. And by the way, throughout the letter, Paul will sometimes refer to our Savior as Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ, or sometimes just Jesus, sometimes just Christ. And just so we're clear here at the beginning, Jesus is his name and Christ is his title. So when you see Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name, it's his title. It means Messiah and Jesus means Savior. So Paul is a servant of Christ, Messiah, Jesus, the Savior. Once he persecuted Christ, Now he's a servant of Christ. Before he served himself and sought the approval of man, now he serves Christ and seeks to please Christ. As he said in Galatians 1, for am I now seeking the approval of man 
or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This was a key part of Paul's identity. He understood himself to be a servant of Christ. He saw himself as a servant of Christ. His sense for who he was had everything to do with who Christ was because he was a servant of Christ. In the general sense of the word servant, all believers are servants of Christ. That's a key part of our identity, of who we are as believers, isn't it? We are not our own, for we were bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6. So we are to glorify God in our body. We don't exist to serve ourselves. We exist to serve Christ. Our chief end is not to glorify ourselves and to enjoy ourselves forever. It's to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. We're not to live as servants of our lusts, but of our Lord. Listen to what Paul writes in chapter 6 of this letter. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. We were once slaves of sin, but now we are slaves of God. Servants of God. And how should that affect how we live as believers? Well, think of how it affected how Paul lived. His whole life was about the gospel and serving Christ. Everything was oriented around Christ. Everything orbited around Christ, the center. Christ and his gospel were the center of gravity in Paul's life since he was a servant of Christ. And that's as it should be for us. So, for example, when you wake up in the morning, think, I am a servant of Christ. Today is about serving Christ. That'll get your day pointed in the right direction. When you start your school day or your work day, think, I am a servant of Christ, not myself. So I'm going to do my work for Christ today. That'll help you be properly motivated in your work. When you come home to your family at the end of the day, think, I'm a servant of Christ, and when I walk through that door, I'm going to serve whoever I see. That'll keep you from disappearing into your phone or into a hobby or whatever when your family needs you. When you're on your way to church on Sunday, think, I'm a servant of Christ This morning or this evening is not about me and my preferences. It's about Christ and his glory. And I'm here to serve him and others for his glory. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, if you remember that you're a servant of Christ, it'll profoundly influence the way you live. 
So by the enabling grace of Christ, live as a servant of Christ. Live like Paul, who was a servant of Christ Jesus. Well, what else does he say about himself here in verse one as he introduces himself to his readers? You can see there, after he says that he's a servant of Christ Jesus, he says that he's called to be an apostle. An apostle. The Greek word that's translated apostle generally can just mean a messenger or someone who is sent. But here and in a lot of other places in the New Testament, it has a more narrow meaning, a technical meaning. It refers to the men that Jesus chose to fulfill the special role and office of apostle. The men who were his authoritative spokesmen, his appointed messengers, who were eyewitnesses of his resurrection and who were commissioned and called by him and given the authority to speak and to write New Testament scripture. So Paul was an apostle in that sense of the word apostle. And he didn't just wake up one day and decide that he wanted to be an apostle. You know, he was called to be an apostle, called by God, not by man, but by God. That's the point he makes in the opening words of Galatians. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. God was the one who called him to be an apostle. God had called Paul not only to salvation by his effectual calling, but also to the office of apostleship, which is what he's referring to here when he says that he was called to be an apostle. This obviously was a key part of Paul's identity too, and it would have flagged for the readers that this was a man who had a divine commission and a divine appointment to be an authoritative spokesman for the risen Lord. Commentator Robert Haldane wrote, The term apostle being placed at the beginning of this epistle impresses the stamp of divine authority on all that it contains. Are there any apostles today, we might wonder? Well, some Christians believe that there are, but we would disagree based on what the Bible says about the unique role the apostles played in serving as the foundation of the church as it says in Ephesians 2.20, which refers to the household of God or the church being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. And since a foundation only needs to be laid once, there's no need for apostles today. But in the more general sense, all believers are messengers even though we are certainly not apostles, we are messengers sent by God into the world with the message of the gospel. We are to go and make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, 19. We are God's servants who are to speak his word with all boldness as the believers did in Acts 4, 29. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal to unbelievers through us, 2 Corinthians 5, 20. We are messengers sent by God into the world to proclaim the message of the gospel. We are not here for our own comfort and ease. We are on a mission. And the mission isn't about us. It's about God. 
We exist to glorify and enjoy God through witness, as we say in our church's mission statement. We are sent into our neighborhood to reflect and proclaim Christ there. Not just to live in our house and keep to ourselves and not bother anybody. We are sent into our school or our workplace or our retirement home or our borough or township or city to reflect and proclaim Christ there. Part of our identity, part of our conception of who we are as believers should be that we are a people who are on mission, who are sent by God into the world with the gospel. We should have an evangelistic mindset wherever we go, like Paul had. And we should keep in mind that Christ did not send us into the world on a political mission. Christ himself didn't come into the world on a political mission. Rather, he sent us into the world on an evangelical mission to take the gospel to the world. Not that politics isn't important, not that it doesn't have its place, not that we shouldn't think and act biblically and Christianly about politics. Don't get me wrong. We just prayed about politics in the pastoral prayer together. But politics is secondary, not primary. The gospel is primary. And as Christians, we need to make sure that is reflected in our attitude and our public discourse. We are messengers sent by God into the world to proclaim the message of the gospel. Well, the third thing that Paul says, as you can see there in verse 1, as he describes himself and introduces himself to his readers, is that he's been set apart for the gospel of God. He's been set apart. That is, he's been separated and consecrated and devoted by God to the gospel of God. Similar to what he said again in Galatians 1, where he talks about how God set him apart before he was born and then in due time called him by his grace and was pleased to reveal his son to him in order that he might preach Christ among the Gentiles. He'd been set apart for the gospel of God. Commentator John Murray wrote, all the bonds of interest and attachment, alien or extraneous to the proclamation of the gospel, have been cut asunder. And he is set apart by the investment of all his interests and ambitions in the cause of the gospel. Like an Olympic athlete, who sets himself or herself apart for the competition, whose entire life revolves around that competition and training for that competition, how they use their time, what they eat or don't eat, whether they go to sleep or when they go to sleep, rather, when they wake up, who they spend their time with. Everything is oriented around that competition. They don't have a quote-unquote normal life because they've separated themselves from normal life and devoted themselves fully to training for their competition. Paul's situation is similar. He understands himself to be set apart from the world and devoted to the gospel. Everything revolves around the gospel and carrying out the mission God had given to him. Thinking about this should cause us to ask ourselves, what am I devoted to? What does my life revolve around? What am I all about? What's my sense of 
what mission I'm on. We can get fuzzy on these things, can't we? And self-centered at times and worldly very easily. And considering these truths can help us to sharpen our vision and clarify our mission. Paul says that he's been set apart for the gospel of God. As Robert Haldane put it, God is at once the author and subject of the gospel. So God is the author of the gospel. It's his gospel, not man's. It came from him and not from man. Again, as Paul said in Galatians 1, referring to the uniqueness of his own apostolic commission, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. God is the author of the gospel. Because God is the author of the gospel, that means it's not ours to tamper with. It's not ours to try to update or modernize. It's not ours to water down or weaken or soften to try to make it more palatable and less offensive. It's not ours to downplay or to correct or to re-envision or whatever else we might be tempted to do in our sinfulness. It's not our gospel. It's God's gospel. And since he is the author, we are to receive what he has written and believe it and tell it to others and live in light of it ourselves. God is also the subject of the gospel. The gospel of God is a gospel about God. It has God at the center, not man. It's not first and foremost about man and his fulfillment. It's first and foremost about God and his glory. It certainly involves and includes man within its scope, to be sure, but it's about God. It's all about God and the glory of his grace to undeserving sinners. What is the gospel of God? Well, it's a message revealed in the Bible about four things primarily, and especially if you're new to the Christian faith, I would encourage you to listen carefully. The gospel is a message about four things, about God, about man, about Jesus Christ, and about faith and repentance. The gospel is first about God. God is the creator of all things, including you and me. He is perfectly holy. He is perfectly good. And he is perfectly just. He has told us so in the Bible. Pardon me. That's who he is. He is not who we might want him to be or think of him to be, but he has told us who he is in the scriptures. We owe him our obedience. We owe him our allegiance. But secondly, about man, the Bible says that though we are made in God's image, though we are made like God with many wonderful capacities, sadly, we have all turned away from God in our thoughts and words and actions. We have sinned against him and we deserve his judgment. And no amount of good we do can make up for the bad we've done. We are guilty before God, our just judge. So God is holy and we are sinful. But thirdly, the gospel is about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came down from heaven and became a man 
while remaining God, and as the God-man, he lived a perfect life of obedience to God, and then died a sacrificial death on the cross, and then rose again from the dead, and is still alive today in heaven. And because of what he did in his life and death and resurrection, he now offers to himself, or offers himself, to sinners for their salvation. That's where the fourth point comes in about faith and repentance. In order to be saved from our sins and from the judgment of God we deserve, he calls us to repent of our sins, to turn away from our sins, and to put our faith in him. That is to trust in him and rely on him to save us from our sins, from our guilt, from God's wrath. That is the gospel of God. That's what Paul's going to expand on over the course of this whole letter. And if you've never heard that gospel before, or you have, but you've not repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus, like Paul would do if he were here, I urge you to see who God is and who you are in light of who he is. See your sin for what it is and trust in Christ as your Savior and Lord. That's what we've all done as Christians. And any of us would be glad to talk to you more about that. But most importantly, talk to God. Turn to him in prayer. He hears you. Tell him you recognize his holiness and your sinfulness. And confess your sin to him. Tell him you repent of your sin. You forsake it now. And tell him you're putting all your trust in Jesus Christ for the salvation you desperately need. And his promise that he makes many times in the Bible is that if you repent and believe, if you receive Christ and rest in him, you will be saved. Later in this first chapter of Romans, it says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. For everyone who believes. So believe in Christ this morning. As Christians, it's good for us to remember that the gospel is the gospel of God. It's not our gospel. We didn't come up with it. So when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to sharing the gospel with people like I've just done, as it's been said, we're just the mailman delivering the mail, the message from God. We didn't write it. God wrote it. And he calls us to deliver it to others prayerfully and depending on the spirit to work in their hearts. And when we understand that it is God's gospel we're delivering and we're just the mailman, there's actually great joy and a sense of privilege in sharing the gospel that comes as opposed to lots of fear and pressure. Well, let's draw to a close this morning. We've seen how all of these things that Paul says are a key part of his identity. He is a servant of Christ Jesus. He'd been called to be an apostle and he'd been set apart for the gospel of God. His identity was shaped by the gospel. And we've considered also how those things are true of each of us as believers, though in a secondary sense, of course, especially when it comes to the fact that we're not apostles. But our identity, too, is shaped by the gospel. And that's important for us to grasp because our identity, our understanding of who we are, profoundly influences how we live. And as Christians, we are servants of Christ, not ourselves. We are sent into the world on his mission, not ours. And we are set apart for the gospel, his gospel. 
Everything centers on Christ. Everything orbits around Christ. And so may God give us the grace to live as his servants, sent by him and set apart for his gospel. Let's pray together. Lord, once again, we thank you for this letter and for how it takes us deep into the gospel and its implications for our lives. We thank you for the privilege we have of going through it together and we thank you for converting Paul and for calling him to be your servant and apostle. We thank you for how his identity described in these opening words shapes our identity as well as believers. And we do pray for grace to live as your servants sent by you and set apart for your gospel. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a few moments during the meditation on the word now to pray and ponder what we've heard and then we'll respond with singing.